me were fantastic. I listened to a bunch of them, and they were fabulous. So, what? like, kudos to all my classmates who who um, shared their stories because they were all incredible. What jumped at you, What jumped out at you? What were the the memorable ones? <clears throat> well, in particular, like uh, Monique and the fact that she became, you know, a nurse. You know, and I, I granted I had gone to I think it was the twenty five year reunion when I had um, touched base with her and, and realized you know that she had transitioned into that you know line of um, um, service, and then um, let's see I was um, well the one that obviously on mental health that really struck a nerve obviously mm-hmm. um, with uh, what happened with my husband Ken, mm-hmm. um, but it honestly like as I was listening to different people's stories like they would talk about you know, certain things that they went through, but then it automatically triggers what you, you know, what happened when you did that, right? When you were at the, the um, at West Point. So yeah, it was just really interesting just to listen to their stories and to see what happened when they approached certain things. Um, and then to think about, okay, you know, these are the same things that you went through, but obviously you had a different perspective and story going through it because each individual is going to have a different, obviously take on everything. So yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. I think and I especially loved um, the first one, and I had forgotten, quite honestly, about the beer with you, General. You, you did. Uh, you for, you I had. I had. I had forgotten about that, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I remember that!" <laughs> so it was really cool just to hear that. And then actually, somebody posted it. Um, I think um, Rob Blonquist had maybe had posted, and was just awesome. So right, it's nice to remember those things. Yeah, yeah. Actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob was one of the guys I was kicking around the idea with, like originally. Like you know, I, th- I think the first guy I may have on the bo- the podcast is going to be uh, is John Keenan because uh, I think that I want to, you know, we all had this common experience of 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 remembering, you know, that kind of ballsy question he asked General Schwarzkopf, and uh, <laughs> that was just that was just so awesome. So yeah, now I have a picture where I was out so looking at Schwarzkopf. He was standing in front of the. A statue of of uh, MacArthur, and he was actually standing just like him. And I have this fabulous photo <laughs> of him just standing there with this crowd of people around. But I actually have the background because that was from my barracks window. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. And you were you were in Company G three. So what what uh, what barracks were that? Well, initially it was the MacArthur barracks, and then we did transition over to Pershing um, while we were under renovation, and they got rid of all the rats and other critters. Mm-hmm. And then we moved back over into MacArthur. So that's pretty much the two that we were in. The entire place is under construction right now. Like everything, the, the apron is ripped up, you know, oh my God. Uh, Eisenhower um, barracks are completely being renovated. Uh, Pershing barracks, uh, old South, they're completely getting wow. redone. And then they have these new barracks, these Davis barracks, which are just <laughs> unbelievable. I went in there. I went in there today. I got a cadet to take me, take me through seeing Company F one, my my former company, and they're they're actually way at the top. They're on the sixth floor of Davis Barracks, which is up over by where Boolers used to be. So they're like really far away. And oh, wow. uh, and the joke is, I mean, basically, it's seventeen flights of steps to get up there to get up to where F one is. So they're basically like. They're as as secure as the lost fifties used to be, so you can get away with murder up there. Basically, there's like you can do anything, <laughs> and, and you know, so I apparently it's kind of like a big party time up there. Company F one is no longer like you know first reg strack kind of thing that they, like they used to be. I guess you know. Well, I'm sure that they got to find ways to release that stress. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me, tell me about what's going on today. So you are living in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, two kids, both in service right now. One is, I think, uh, 
Army ROTC, the other one is Navy OCS. Is, is, that, is that the story? Correct. Yep. So, um, yeah, my kids are both grown, so I am an empty nester, which is a really fun experience for those of you that haven't experienced it yet for anyone who hasn't. But, um, no, my son actually uh, graduated um, UW-Madison, and then he worked for a year. And then he kind of was like, is this it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you work and you pay your bills and you live. And he decided it just wasn't enough. So he started actually looking up the services. And uh, my boyfriend, the gentleman I'm with now, he kind of um, helped him at least to make sure he was asking the right questions and explore the services. And so my son decided to apply for OCS and he got into the Navy and he decided he wanted to fly um, planes. So he's down in Pensacola now and he's um, in the instrumental phase of um, the first, um, I forget what they call it, but the first... um, like sessions of different types of training that they do. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's been doing well. He's, you know, it's highly stressful, but he's loving it. And, uh, he's, um, yeah, he's just testing himself every day, which I love. I love to see them out there just doing their thing. So he's doing that. And my daughter, um, she is down at the UW Milwaukee and she decided to try ROTC and uh, she's actually enjoying it. And in fact, she'll be going to Oman this summer because um, she was she's um, put an application for Project Go, and so she's going to head there. And the funny thing is, and I know I shared this with you, but you know, I brought them to the 20th reunion, tried to influence them as far as you know, do you want to do this? Do you want maybe the military? And both of my kids were like, nope. They looked at the IOCT and they were like, nope, not having it. But then both of them. <laughs> kind of more in an indirect manner now have ended up going into the service, which I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm glad that they're choosing that because I do think that it's a, a great life, um, frankly, and they'll be able to do some things that, let's face it, all of us have some stories and stuff we did that other people look at us and think we're crazy, but, oh my God, we were there. We lived and did stuff that was just amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things, too, that binds us together as a class is like not only do we have this common experience in four years at West Point, but then we also had you know, these first couple of years, at least the first five years of similar work experience. And then, you know, not only that, but we're also crossing paths all the time. And so that's really what makes, I think, for a really close knit community, like a mm-hmm. basically like, a, you know, support structure that I that I'd love to be able to emphasize more as a as a as we get older and as you know, create this, um, create this, uh, this, this kind of like uh, safety net, so to speak of, uh, of, relationships and um and again just to sort of walk back to the to the origin of this podcast i mean this really began with uh, my taking over as the class fundraising chair as an idea that we, we wanted to focus on uh raising raising money but also specifically raising participation rates uh among our class giving goals uh if okay. we can get to a 91 percent, we will be the most generous class in academy history for their 30th uh their 30th reunion gift and so i was doing these conversations i was talking to people i was like wouldn't it be cool if i can kind of replicate this you know through a podcast and i had this friend joe that had this radio station and so that's how this whole thing was born and uh so you know our goals are to foster uh, continued relationships among our classmates, um, specifically to also remember our fallen classmates because they live through our stories, um, to connect us closer to the activities of West Point, and, uh, and also to celebrate the accomplishments of our fellow classmates and where needed to lift each other up. So that's the intention of, of, of this podcast. So 
Um, I, but I digress. So uh, you're talking about your daughter. Your daughter's name is Sadie, right? Sadie? Correct. Yep. I love that name. It's such a great name. I, I, I love that name. As did I. But we've met more cows and dogs named Sadie than we have people. Well, tell her it's a beautiful name. I, I do. <laughs> Thank you. And, and so she's a, she's a sophomore? In ROTC, I saw, now did yep. I see something that she got an award like for ROTC? That's like a top ROTC student or something. She's um, in the top ten um, percent for her um, GPA. So yes, yeah, she did get an award um, recently. Wow, so, good for her. Yeah, no, she's she's enjoying you know the military. In fact, today she was home this weekend after spring break, and uh, she was doing an op word, <laughs> and it was just the most surreal thing that she's asking me, you know like different questions about putting together her op board and, you know, how many lines of communication is that? Oh my God, this is so funny that I'm sitting here actually like obviously being able to answer questions, but I'm like, Oh my goodness. And then there were a couple of things that she needed to do, like put together a terrain map. And I said, well, what kind of supplies do you have? She said, well, I have some popsicle sticks and I have some rope. And I thought, Oh my God, I have no idea what you're trying to put together. But um, she's going to come up with something. I think she's actually meeting with her um, group of people that are supposed to put this terrain map together tonight so they can create this for their plan. But, yeah, it was just funny to listen to her and to hear the different things um, that she's doing. And, you know, she is <clears throat> obviously our, our training at West Point. We, you know, we had pretty good equipment. We had, you know, the full facilities. We had all of that. But I, I look at... Uh, like for instance, in ROTC, especially in downtown Milwaukee, and they're running around with blue, like rubber weapons and different things that are just so different. Mm. Um, so her experience is definitely different. Um, but, you know, obviously their training is very different, you know, today too from, from what our, ours was back then. So, but it's just, it's funny to hear it and to hear the different stories and to be able to relate on some levels, um, even though some things have changed. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, there's terrain maps everywhere at West Point now because I was walking around today. I think the cows have some big deliverable this week that they have to deliver an op-board off of it. They have to create their own terrain map. So there's terrain maps everywhere, like walking around. Everybody's working on them, you know, Sunday afternoon. So um, but it was it was, it was was definitely interesting uh, being there today. Did you see any with popsicle sticks and with, like, yarn? Yeah, there might have been a few popsicle sticks. There's some popsicle <laughs> sticks. There's a lot, of, a lot of yarn, a lot of, you know... <laughs> Uh, FIBAs and forward, forward, uh, forward edge of the battlefields and all that kind of stuff. Is that some of that stuff just doesn't change? So yeah, yeah, it was good though. Yeah. Um. And so, <laughs> so how much longer does your son have in uh, before he figures out which which type of aircraft he's going to fly? Well, based on what we understand his timeline to be, because he's in his third phase instruments, um, I think it's going to be around July when he will at least have gone through this whole complete phase. And there's other terminology that they use, but I honestly don't remember it, unfortunately. Um, but when he finishes that, that's when he'll put in for, you know, what he wants to fly. But obviously it's going to be up to the Navy as far as what they need. And then obviously wherever he stands in the class. So, you know, that's how the, the decision will get made, which obviously we're all a little bit familiar with similar types of decisions. But, uh, yeah, he... Um, He's just loving it, and he just loves the Navy. And he told me, though, he did say that uh, for Army-Navy games that he would still be okay if Army won. So I was like, okay, that's good. But, no, it's fun. Yeah, that's 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 good stuff. So now with him in Pensacola and Sadie 
in college, you're kind of like, you can, we wheels up and go anywhere you want. Right. So you're, you kind of have some flexibility. Yep. yep. No. So when I had left, um, at least the medical service corps, the nice thing is, is that I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare. I knew I wanted to be in a, an industry that no matter where you are, you're making a difference. Um, and granted my passion has actually been in the support areas. So oftentimes people forget that while it's very important that we have doctors, you know, very important that we have nurses, but to keep the buildings functioning, to keep the lights on, to keep, you know, everything happening so that those individuals focus on the patients and what needs to get to happen. That's really the work um, that I've been doing over the last number of years. Um, so originally from the medical service, I was more so kind of on the, um, if you will, the billing, but the classification end of, of things, kind of more the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And then really when I moved out to the civilian world, I just started to run operations. So I um, started in clinics. Um, worked with a number of our clinics and actually helped to build the infrastructure because clinics are actually pretty new um, to the health system that I'm in. And then um, just over the years, as there were needs and different things that uh, were needed from a leadership standpoint, I just you know moved to different roles that where I was needed. Um, and so I, um, over a year ago, um, I had actually been promoted to a vice president. I was were there for about four or five years. But then, quite frankly, I this is when my daughter was actually finishing up high school, but I knew I was not going to stay here in Wisconsin. Um, the winters are brutal <laughs> from my standpoint. Yeah, how, but, but how um, was that Arctic black, that crazy cold? Uh, did that, it was like 20 below zero, right? Like you couldn't even oh, go outside. It was, it was crazy. I mean, the warmest it would get was still in the negative temperature. And it was just, it was the polar vortex. It was so bad. And, you know, this winter in particular was just rotten. Um, just too cold. You, you can't go outside at any time during the day because it is just not safe and not comfortable at all. Um, you know, years ago, I, I took up cross country skiing, which I learned at West Point. And I you tried that to in get PE? myself. You did that in PE? I, I did. What year? Did. What year was um, that? Oh, gosh. Let's I took see, that I too. I wonder if we're in the same I class. Was, I, w- I wonder if it was. Um, I, think I, I want to say maybe year. cow year. Cow but year there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough snow. Mm-hmm. So we ended up actually on the um, ski slopes, and so we just went back and forth, yeah. <laughs> back and forth. Um, but I did learn how to do that. So, you know, I bought myself a pair here thinking I'm in a place where I can do that a lot. But for the last probably five years, it's either been too cold or the conditions on the trails have just been miserable. So I haven't, you know, done anything on the snow. But if you're going to live here, you really have to like snow. You really like to have to get out to the cold to do it. Um, so no, I've been actually thinking that I was going to start to look for Southern pastures and I was very fortunate that back in February, um, a good friend and old classmate, um, Mickey Olson contacted me and said, Hey, there's something going on down here in Texas. And that's where she is. Um, and she's a health systems engineer down there. And, uh, so yeah, actually within the next five, six weeks, I'll be moving down to Texas. So you're going the opposite so direction. Excited. You're going from super, 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 super cold to super hot. I like the hot. Yeah. I lived in San Antonio twice because of medical service court, and I just loved it in Texas. Something about the whole Texas atmosphere, I just enjoyed. And you're originally, so. but you're originally from Connecticut, so that's like not exactly hot, but it's you know it's kind of temperate. It's more temperate. It's yeah. definitely not brutal like there's, the winters here. There's four seasons for sure. And then, yeah. um, but how come, you know, I have the howitzer open here. How come the howitzer says you're from Vermont? What's that? 
The howitzer. I'm, I have your howitzer photo here. The howitzer oh, says. So in in our um, let's see, we were in our yearling year, and my parents decided to move to Vermont. Okay. So somehow, as everything got you know put in, um, I was originally from Connecticut, and I always thought about being from Connecticut because I really wasn't with the family when they moved to Vermont, but somehow that got in there. So. Mm. I didn't try to change it or whatever, but um, yeah, my family moved up to Vermont. They live on the very top of Vermont where they lived, I should say, and mm. uh, right on the Canadian border. So again, brutally cold up there too. Wow. Well, we should say yeah. hello to some of our classmates that are on the line here. So Dave Peak, Moni Fox, Scott Clemenson. Oh, Dave. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, and Walt Wheatfall, uh, Paul Smolchak, Jeff Simpson, uh, I think there's a few other few other people here that are coming in and out. So, so, uh, so hello, hello, everybody. You guys can, if you have questions, you can pepper them into the comment feed, and we may open up the phone line. We think we have the technology to do that later, so you can actually call in too. I'll, I'll give the number out in a little while, and if you guys want to call in and talk to Kim, uh, you can definitely do that. So look forward to that. Um, so, um, so that's that's. Uh, <coughs> That's really cool. So you're gonna you're gonna hook you're gonna look up with uh, Moni Fox, I think, right? Uh, Monique Washington, when you're uh, down there in, in Texas. I'm planning to, along with uh, Mickey Olson, and I believe Dave Talley is down there, and Dean Freeland. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Dave Peak. I'm always laughing at his posts when he posts his different things on Facebook, and I'm out there. Um, so yeah, anyone down in the Dallas area or in the Texas area, because I plan to try to move around a bit. While I'm down there, but I'm looking forward to it. You gonna go to the range with Monique? Go, Absolutely. Yeah, and and maybe ride some motorcycles too. Well, my days of motorcycle were not very good, so mm. I I I wouldn't uh, I I was never able to actually master the motorcycle. In fact, the one time I had to do the road test, I almost killed six people and um, ultimately dropped the bike. So I decided I'm probably not built for that. Yeah. No 180 miles an hour for her. No, no ball, no, ball 70. No. Yeah. Monique just uh, just uh, popped into the comment feed that uh, Colleen McCabe and Brett Peckis are also down there. Oh, cool. Very yeah. cool. So who's up in the um, Green Bay area? Because uh, I know you've connected with some classmates up there. Yep. So um, up here, actually, um, well, Chris Liga is here. So he is, uh, he's always been a close friend. Um, he was in H3. And so he's here. And uh, right now, actually, for the, any of the hurricanes that are, are possibly out there, um, unfortunately, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. So he is going through a lot right now. Um, I actually work in the same health system as, as him. And I brought him in, actually, as a facility um, team leader. So he's being a facility team leader, especially in Wisconsin, is brutal. Um, if you can imagine with the snow removal and uh, just what comes with the brutal cold as well. Um, but yeah, so he's up here and we're very tight, very close. In fact, he dropped by earlier cause he's my, um, daughter's, um, godfather and he bought her a book about Oman cause he had read it when he was at the Academy. Um, and let's see. So we do have, um, I think, well, a while ago, actually, um, I don't know if people know Tom Burke. He actually lived in Green Bay for a short period of time. I think it was about two or three years. Bumped into him and met his wife, and uh, we're close friends. So it was nice to connect with them at Army Navy um, this last um, game. Um, did and you we do, do have mm-hmm. you, you did like a big uh, Army Navy viewing party there, right? Uh, and yeah, well, so so here in the Wisconsin area, there's the West Point 
um, of Wisconsin, you know, society. And I had uh, forever gotten invitations to go down to Milwaukee. And that's where they kind of have their, that's where a lot of grads are, is down by Milwaukee. And so I'd seen the invitations numerous times. Um, but, you know, being up in Green Bay, having kids and the last, you know, 10 years being a single mom and, you know, just needing to spend time, you know, look at my time wisely. So I never had gone down there. But then when I got totally frustrated with Army um, losing so many times um, three years ago when I just could not take it anymore, I actually reached out to the folks down in Milwaukee. They gave me the names and emails, contact information of everybody up in this area. Um, and so I contacted everybody and we got organized. And uh, actually it was a 68 grad, I want to say, who was generous and opened up his house. Um, for us. And so we had a blast. It was just a bunch of us that got together. And I want to say that the youngest um, grad was probably class of like um, 94, maybe 95. I want to say I, I, I didn't know the individual, but now I, I know him. We see each other periodically at different events. But um, yeah, so we got together probably about seven or eight grads that are actually right here in the area. And then now over the last two years, so last year, um, a ninety a ninety grad actually who works here. Um, he actually hosted it. So we've done it just a little differently. It's been more like potluck style and the tailgate, if you will. But it's been a blast just to get together with people. And in fact I did meet another classmate, but for the life of me, his name is escaping me. Um, but we didn't know each other at the academy at all. But um he actually is um I think in the energy industry up here. But he's mm. lived here for a number of years, but we never connected until finally we, you know, somehow through all of the Go Army, Beat Navy um, communications, we, we got into the party. And so it was fun. Last year, I wasn't at the party, so I have no idea how it all went. Um, but I was able to go to the game. And that was something that for the longest time that I wanted to do. So that was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I think that, like we were saying on a pre-call, like we're getting to the point where, like, you know, maybe – like we're less sort of like chaotic in raising our kids and so focused on their, like you begin to start, you know, clawing some time back and being able to reconnect with people after all these years. And mm-hmm. like, like your, in, your head's over the water and you're actually like looking where you're going versus just trying to get through everything. Yeah. And that's what gives us the opportunity, I think, to kind of reconnect like this. And I, I was telling you, like we had this awesome uh, company get together a few weeks ago. Uh, we called it Friar Palooza. We all went down to the Dominican Republic and, uh, we had, I think 12 of our classmates and, and they were there and it was just great. I was hearing stories I hadn't heard in a gazillion years, you know, I, and some stories I'd ne- never heard before, you know, uh, you know, I was hearing them for the first time. It was just so funny, but it was like, you're immediately well, connected. Think, yeah. You're immediately connected. Like no time has passed. And the thing is, it's so different when you look back now that that's, you know, the things that probably at one time we would have been embarrassed to share or talk about. I mean, my God, a lot of us are either 50 or almost 50. A lot of that stuff goes away and you realize, you know, life is just happening and we're just blessed to be here and able to still share and then, you know, able to connect again. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's, that's right. That's absolutely right. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so when we were down there, actually we had, I, I, I think about, you know, the, um, the influence of my classmates relationships that I've had with them. And, um, have you read the book, uh, spirit mission by our classmate, Ted Russ? I have not. There, he wrote a book. It's, it's, uh, I, I talk about it on one of the previous podcasts. He's one of the people that I had on and he, you know, he's a philosophy major, so he's real deep and he's, he has all these observations. But the thing he said, I thought is so riveting to me. is like, you know, when you're at the Academy, 
you don't realize it, but your DNA is being spliced with all your classmates. And, you know, you're 98% the same by the time you graduate. But, you know, the 2% while you're there, that's what distinguishes one from the other, and you notice that 2%. But when you graduate, it's that 98% that brings you together. And that you'll always seek out that 98% for the rest of your life. Like, nobody will understand you as well as another West Point graduate because you've had this common experience. I thought, like... That is very well said. Yeah. Very well said. So you always have like this, like to, to your point, like you know, like like we were down there, you know, <laughs> to Dominican Republic, and you know nobody was like um, nobody was like you know inhibited to you know share stories or you know I mean there's a couple beach bodies left. I mean Bernie Christensen's still looking pretty pretty in shape and Rob Dill too, but the rest of us were like kind of like like well, you know just kind of hanging out and uh, it it just didn't matter. But we also had. Um, we had three of our four West Point sisters that were there, uh, our F1 sisters, the way I refer to them. I think about I think about influential female relationships in my life. I mean, obviously, my wife and my two daughters and my sister and my mom are very important. But right right there with them are those four F1 ladies, uh, how influential they were in the way that I kind of, you know, go about life, you know. And, um, and so we were talking on the, on the pre-call, like, you also – Started with four and graduated with four, right? Your four um, we did. female yep. gophers. And so who were they? Yeah. Um, so the four females in my company were Tony Glaze, um, Michelle or Mickey Olson, uh, Laura Prist, and myself. And yeah, the four of us, we made it all through um, the four years together. So, I mean, it was, you know, let's face it. It was largely because I think we had great company mates. You know, the guys on our in our um, company, we were, um, we just were supportive of each other. We worked together. We were team players. There was none of this, you know, any, anything inappropriate or anything that made people feel uncomfortable. It was just very, it was a good, very good group of people. I'm very blessed to have had them and still have them quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I imagine, I mean, you mentioned that Mickey was instrumental in you being able to get this job down in, uh, down in Texas, right? Yeah, and it was funny. It was what you were talking about. You know, we hadn't talked in I don't know how many years, but, um, you know, when we first, when she first had told me about the job, you know, I finally gave her a call after we texted a couple times. But, man, we picked up just like where we were before. It was like no time has passed. And it just amazes me how that can happen. Like when I went back to the 20th reunion and then the 25th, it's like no time has passed with people. Yeah. You just pick up and there's just this immediate connection. It's just like it's crazy, but it's so awesome and yes. i know for instance like um chris liga um he had not gone back for a reunion at all so i'll put this plug in for anyone who's thinking about a uh, future reunion because uh, we do have one coming up 30th, we're getting yep. that much closer mm-hmm. but um he was not going to go to the 25th and uh i kept kind of working on him because i know when i went back for the 20th which was the first one that i went back for it was just so unbelievable. And, you know, part of it is I wanted my kids to see the experience that their father and I had had Mm -hmm. um, and give them some sense of the stories that we talked about and and to kind of associate, you know, the place with the stories. Um, But Chris had really tried to stay away um, from the Academy, but I kid you not, as soon as the man got there, um, you know, the emotional connection the emotion, the connection with other people. He, I want to say, and I, Chris will kill me, but he almost cried like the whole time because it was so emotional, but it was so good for him. And he continues to thank me 
um, you know, to this day for the fact that he went back there and connected with so many people. It was just, it was wonderful. It was magnificent. And I'm glad to have done that for him. And there's no reason why you can't do that. Like, you don't have to wait five years. Like, you know, get your company together, do a little, you know, go for Palooza or something like, like in, in Dallas or something, bring people together. It's, it, it was like the highlight of my year was going to the Dominican Republic with these goons from F1. It was just so much fun. And, um, awesome. yeah, I mean, of course we missed, uh, like we didn't all get there and I, I feel badly talking about it cause I think a Musso George is going to listen to this and he couldn't go. Moose is, you know, he's, he's our, he's still active duty. He's, you know, he's a, he's a one-star general and he had something he could not miss. And so, um, so that was too bad. You got a general in your, in your company too, right? Greg Brady, I think. Yeah, actually, I saw that on the list, but I didn't see Greg at the last reunion. I saw him at the previous one, mm-hmm. um, and I knew that he was doing extremely well. And I just remember that when we were back, and you know, nobody would have told me that he would have been a general at this point. But I'm very proud of him. And I'm glad that he's doing well. Yeah, that's that. That's amazing. That's that's great. Um, so. Uh, Let's think about uh, the timeline here. We're about a half an hour in, and I want to maybe go back to the pre-West Point stories, like going all like you, you met, like you mentioned that getting in the West Point for you was not the easiest thing in the world, right? Like you really wanted to go there, but I'd love to hear your story about how you chose West Point, getting in that whole thing. So let's go back to 1986, 87. You're senior okay. in high school in Coventry, uh, or uh, Connecticut, I think, right? Yep, Coventry, Connecticut, and actually Kevin Banks um, and I both, he was in uh, Charlie 3, but he and I both came from the same high school. I had oh, forgotten wow. about that. Yeah, we both came from the same high school, but then, quite frankly, we rarely ever saw each other um, at the academy, but he was uh, a good friend of mine actually in high school, and uh, I know he's retired now, and I, I know he's practicing medicine, I think down in Texas as well, but again, I kind of lost you know, track of somebody, so but anyways, going back to what you said, um, actually, I'm going to take you back a little bit before that. Sure. So I remember being homesick from school, and I forget if it would have been which grade I would have been in, but I watched the first female class of graduates actually graduate. They had it on, um, like, Good Morning America or one of those shows. And I remember that night when my dad got home from work, I went to him and I said, I'm going to go to West Point. And I remember my dad looking at me and kind of smirking and going, oh, yeah, okay, we'll see. But then move, you know, flash forward and it's, you know, time that I'm actually starting to make those decisions. So in high school, um, so I did apply and I was actually, I put in for the early application. So I want to say it was like December timeframe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did all of the, you know, the testing and the requirements and everything like that. And I did, um, I submitted everything and I heard back, um, and I was disappointed because, um, my physical aptitude, um, test was not where it should be. And so, you know, I got this notice and it, it was disappointing. But it they said, said you know, they said you're, you're, you would be in if you would just get this other score up, the PAE, right? They said that I could resubmit. Yep. Mm-hmm. For, I think it was like a February timeframe, but they said you need to work on this. Mm-hmm. So um, I took actually the requirements. I took everything and I went to my um, PE teacher at um, high school and I asked her if she would work with me. And so for the next number of months, every day after school, I was in the gym and I was working on those specific um, events so that I could actually improve my score. 300-yard shuttle run, uh, pull-ups yep, or the flex basketball on, toss, basketball the throw. chin hold-up. We didn't have to do pull-ups, thank yeah, God. And the long jump. Um, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Um, 
but yeah, so I just kept working on those events and uh, went and retook the PAE and, um, you know, resubmitted you everything. It? Where'd you, you have to take it? Back then, you used um, to take it at a post someplace, right? No, actually, I want to say we were at like a reserve center, and I think it was mm. in Hartford, Connecticut, if I'm not, if I remember correctly. Um, mm. But it was this big gymnasium, but it was a, a place that I don't quite honestly remember where it was. But it was in Connecticut. Um, the closest post to us would have been Fort Devens. And the only thing I did there was when I had to get my physical, which mm. you had a fantastic story about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, I'll t- uh, so I'll tell that story. So I also applied early decision, and um, and by and by the way, this time of the year sucks for high school seniors. I don't know how your experience was, but my I have a I have a high school senior, and we're trying to go through the whole college application thing. And it's just. It is painful. It is so yes, painful. It is. Yeah. I mean, fortunately we've got a couple schools that she's on her, you know, on her list that she would, we've recently got some good news, which is great. Um, but it's not always all good news. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. so I, my heart goes out to you, like, you know, really wanting to go and, and then, you know, having to, you know, kind of, so were you considering another school besides West Point at that point? Cause you had to put up a, a backup plan, right? Well, I had back a plan. I knew I was going to serve. I mean, mm-hmm. that ultimately, at the end of the day, my dad was a retired lieutenant colonel. So we had all grown up, you know, just knowing that we were going to serve. So what, everyone what in my family, he? actually, uh, he was Army. Did uh, I yep. mean, what, what branch in the Army? What, what was his? Uh... Oh, well, originally he was Armour. So he, mm-hmm. my dad was a much older, um, much older than my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but originally he was Armour, and then later he became chemical. But okay. he actually fought in the Korean War. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he got injured. He was a platoon leader. He was actually a recon platoon leader. And uh, actually, I found some of his stories years later, and they were fascinating as far as some of the things that he wrote about what was happening, hmm. you know, in different field uh, operations that they were doing. But um, no, then he became a chemical officer, and then he retired um, out of Dugway um, Proving Grounds in Utah, and that's where I was born. Hmm. How about that? Yep. Yeah, so but, my, um, mm-hmm. my crazy story, just, you know, to give you the yeah. kind of highlights, is that so, like, because back then you, they, they would mail to you the Dobmer physical form ahead of time. And so you'd have to take that form down to wherever you're going to get your physical. And, you know, I went, I was going down to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey to get my physical. And so I'm reading through the form and it's like, you know, you see all this stuff, like they're checking your eyes and your teeth and your ears and, you know, you know, height, weight, all this kind of stuff. And I see prostate. And then I'm like, holy cow, like what? What, what 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 is this what is this test that needs to be done you know and so uh and so i find out like you know they're gonna have to do a prostate exam for you to get into west point like holy cow like i'm 18 years old what the hell like <laughs> and so i'm waiting um joe just walked back in joe's gonna hear this crazy story i'm talking about how i how i was trying to get into west point and i they sent me the physical form ahead of time and i see they're gonna do a prostate exam on me i'm like oh my god I'm eighteen year old. I'm eighteen year old kid, and so, um, so I go down there, and I'm like, so I go from station to station to station, right? And I'm waiting for this guy, you know, like, like I'm waiting for the, waiting for the station where the guys gonna like put on the rubber glove and be like, right. you know, like, uh, like in the, uh, what was that, Fletch, you know, moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so. I get to the end. Of, I get to the last station of the day, and it's like, okay, you're done, candidate. You're you're finished. I'm like, all right. Yeah, don't so, mention a word. Don't mention a word. <laughs> get the hell out of here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I, you know, so I just, I just beat feet out of there. And so then, do you know, I get accepted to West Point, but with a conditional acceptance. They realized in my review that they did not do that test. So when I was telling, so like, like you have this great news that you're accepted to go to West Point, but you're conditionally accepted. And so like, I had to like tell everybody, like every coach, every teacher, like, you know, so you were forced to tell them because of the lack of the prostate exam. Yeah, I had, I had, that was my last my last piece of the puzzle was I needed to go back to get you know violated as a young eighteen year old, um, you know, to get into West Point. I mean, it's one thing to be you know noted as a conditional acceptance due to the fact that you have flat feet and you have to wear no, high no, arch shoes, no, no, but no, that you know, not it. That prostate not, exam that's yeah. uh, could be a little embarrassing. Yeah, it was very embarrassing because like you know, like you know, I like. You think of it, you're 18 years old, like, you're, you know, you got, like, you know, kids that are your age, you know, right. guys, girls, whatever, like, oh, you're going to go to West Point? Like, you got to accept the West Point? Like, well, I got, yeah, I'm sort of accepted. Like, I got <laughs> one more test I got to do. Well, what test is that? Well, it's, you know, it's a special test. What kind of test? <laughs> I don't know. So, anyway. I well, we're, go... we're all glad that you passed it. Yeah, yeah, I passed it. I passed it. And that's crazy. I don't know why we even need to do that, you know? So I think I blocked that out of my memory. I don't remember actually getting the second test, but I think it, it did happen. So, but anyway, so, so you, so you're saying that your kids, they say they have a distinguished mom lecture series, right? On, yeah. Uh, on yes. Ha- and so that's, yes, the story of me um, overcoming and basically practicing my butt off so I could uh, do better on that um, physical aptitude. Um, test uh, is my story, my lecture series on perseverance. Mm-hmm. So my kids hate it. And especially when we get into a car alone, they're like, mom, we don't want to hear any lecture series. But unfortunately, they typically do. <laughs> so what are, you, what are your other topics? In lecture uh, let's series? see. Uh, generally, it's perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, staying positive. Mm-hmm. Attitude. Um, it, yeah. Attitude. Yep. It's also, though, about staying connected. You know, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask questions because I find, especially today, and I don't know if it's just my kids, but because they're so reliant on their phones, they become a little too much in their heads and they look stuff up on their own, but they don't talk to people who have experience. So that was one of the ones that I have spent a lot of time on, especially in the last couple of years. But, you know, talk to people, go out and talk to people who have this type of experience, ask questions, don't be afraid you know, there is no stupid question. And at this point, my God, I've asked probably a million stupid questions. So I said, there really isn't one that I haven't asked. So go ahead and, you know, talk to people. Mm-hmm. So, but I have all, all different ones, but, you know, different things just to make sure that my kids are at least getting something from me. <laughs> I, I think my kids, my kids would make fun of me too, the same way, you know, dad's lecture series on various different things. I always got these different, different things. Perseverance is uh, one of, or attitude is another one. I tell the story uh, about mm. just you know how it, uh, how you show up even in failure can make such a difference. You know, it can can change something really bad to be something good. You know, absolutely. And I have a whole series that's on the harder right or the easier wrong. That mm-hmm. is something that my kids just know, and they will ask me, "Well, mom, which one of these is the harder right or the easier wrong?" Mm-hmm. So yeah, but those are the things that I think we learned, and and that's what we can impart, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you, so perseverance paid off and you got that uh, letter in April of your senior year, right? Yes. Actually it was just a couple of weeks away from when I graduated um, from high school and I had a very short period of time, had to turn around and then um, report for our day. So yeah, it was kind of a rolling, but obviously I was just extremely, um, I was elated. 
um, but my backup plan actually was going to be IOTC at UConn, um, mm. and I'd already been accepted there. Or, frankly, if that didn't work, if I decided I wasn't going to do that, then I was going to enlist. If anything, I wasn't going to stay in my parents' home and be a drag on them because they had a bunch more kids to raise. So how how many kids? Out. How many kids? Um, there was five total in my family. So, uh, um, yeah. you, where so, do you fall in the mix? Well, I'm technically the oldest, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have one sister who's adopted. Now, she was out of the house already, but my three younger siblings, they um, still were obviously young and still needing a lot for my parents. So I was going to get out of the way. And your younger sister also went to West Point, right? She's class of 94? She did. She did, yep. And she, so she actually went from Vermont because that was when they mm-hmm. lived in Vermont. But she was class of 94, and uh, she also married a, a fellow graduate, but he was from the year ahead of her as well. Hmm. So that uh, Good Morning America conversation with your dad, l- little did he know, both, he'd have two daughters that went to West Point. Yeah, and he, he would have been extremely proud. Um, unfortunately, he did pass um, before we even graduated. He passed in February of 91, but mm. um, I know he was extremely proud. Mm. Well, I'm sure he is. And so um, so you show up at West Point, Beast Barracks. Who's your roommate during Beast? Tony Glaze. <laughs> okay, so so how did that go? Like, like, give me some B stories. Oh, oh, it was fantastic. Um, no, Tony was the best in terms of being a roommate and uh, a wonderful woman, obviously, and um, obviously beautiful. So, you know, that was something that um, immediately um, she was attracting a lot of attention, and so I was always her little sidekick. Um, but um, no, we had a great time together. We worked well together. That was that was nice, and it got us to you know these barracks. Um, probably the funniest story, and she'll probably hate me for telling this, but it was my fault. I'll take total blame for this one. But um, day one after our day, you know, we all had to report down for formation, um, and the uniform was BDUs, as I recall very vividly, because as we were getting dressed that morning, we were, you know, basically putting on a uniform that we were both unfamiliar with. And I remember her pausing and saying, as we were putting the blouses on, she said, is there something that goes on underneath these? And I was like, well, I didn't see anything that goes on underneath these. And so she like, was, we were looking like through the stuff and she was like, well, maybe it's this. And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't say that anywhere. Like and I was t-shirt? looking for instructions. Yep. Oh my God. So anyways, we both got dressed and I was the one who said, no, I don't think there's a t-shirt under this because I didn't see that in anything that we had. So we, of course, you know, got out to formation and we were there on time and uh, standing there proudly, you know, trying to think about whatever it was that we needed to do. And I remember vividly that we were getting ready to go into the the mess hall. And I remember our squad leader, um, Cadet McIntyre, kind of, well, first of all, somebody was over to our periphery and they were going, hmm. And we could, like, they were looking at us and I was like, I wonder what's wrong. And of course you're going, oh, please God, don't single me out. Don't, don't right. haze me. Don't ask me something I don't know. Whatever the case may be. Anyways, so, so we're so getting ready to I, actually. I, I, <laughs> I got to explain this to Joe. So, you, so the BDU blouse is like the out the outside jacket. The outside it's like almost like a jacket. Right. Like, but underneath is a t shirt. It's right. like this this kind of uh, od green t shirt. So I think what you're saying is you guys just didn't ha- you just had bras on and that was it. Like un- like there was correct. Oh my correct. god. Underneath oh. our blouses. So, oh my god. So we're standing there and. You know, we're attracting some attention, but I'm not really sure why. Right. And then, you know, everybody else turns, but our squad leader says, please, Hodge, over here. 
So we go over to him and he's like, what do you have on under those? And we just looked at him and he was like, oh my God. <laughs> so he marched us quickly back up to our room. He said, find those t-shirts. And he told us what we were looking for. So then we threw them on. I remember Tony was not at all happy with me, but she always forgave me um, for my, my uh, mistakes. And so we got them all dressed. And then obviously after that, we always knew that that was part of the uniform, but I will never forget that. It was so embarrassing. But when I look back on it now, I just laugh. Yeah, that is pretty funny. We uh, really did I'm glad you had the bras on. When she said you did nothing to go underneath, I'm thinking like no bra. How embarrassing that is to show up and be singled out for that. Yeah, I, I remember, I mean, I don't know how this would go down today, right? But I, I was a company commander during, um, during our, our, uh, for the um, cadet advanced training, whatever, it's, uh, Buckner, right? right? And there's this thing called the slide for life, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you, like, you, uh-huh. you slide down, you slide for life. And so, you know, you, you have to take your BDU blouse off and you have just your OD green T-shirt on, right? right. And so, you know, I'm kind of walking around. I can't help but notice that some of these young yearling female cadets are not wearing bras, right? And they're about to jump into this water like this. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I'm like, like, okay, like cadet, like, how do you, how do you, how do you address this? Like, in, like, like it puts you in a kind of a weird spot because you're trying. So anyways, I pulled over one of my female classmates and said, listen, I, I think, I, I can't help but notice, but I don't think that some of these girls have bras on, and I don't think it's appropriate. It's going to look a little bit odd if they jump into the water and we have, like, a wet T-shirt contest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So one of my one of my memories from, from be, being a cadet, the, the weird situations like that. So. Well, it sounds like you handled it with much tact. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. But... No, but there were situations like that. But, um, yeah, that was the one that, for the life of me, I always think back and it just makes me smile. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that Tony forgave me. Uh, Libby, Libby Boggs may, may kill me for bringing this one up, but it, it, just, it was kind of funny, kind of related to this, too. So Libby is one of my, you know, classmates. She's in my squad. Love her to death. She's like a sister to me, like the other three are as well. And so it, this is during Beast also. And, you know, you're pinging down the hallway, like you're not looking where you're going. You just kind of like... So, I, like, I ping down the hallway, and I go into the room, and there's Libby in the room with her shirt off, with a bra on, like, just, like, in, in the room. I'm like, oh, shit, I went, I accidentally went into her room. So I just, I do, like, an about face, and I ping out of there, and I go into the bathroom where you can, like, sort of, like, you don't have to ping around anymore. And I look around the corner, and it's my room. She was in my room <laughs> with, with her shirt off because she went into the wrong room. They all looked the same. And she's starting to get dressed like after, you know, PT. I'm like, this is weird, you know. And then I see her like <laughs> ping out and then I ping back in there. So wow. those are f- funny stories like that, you know. Oh, yeah. So we were saying, too, like, I think that like as as a as a woman, as a as a female cadet, you think of all your other kind of like. Uh, classmate sisters or you know the female cadets by company right so like you don't you don't remember f1 but you remember these four ladies because they're your they're your company mate or they're your you mm-hmm. know classmates right so i well, I, mm-hmm. I i just I, like i do you think that there are are there are there almost like not clicks but there's kind of like uh like cultures that kind of develop around that i think like because then then you end up being like thrown back into other situations are in Buckner where you have other classmates, right? So what was that like for you? Mm-hmm. No, it was, um, well, for one thing, like for the women. So we were, 
you know, singled out. We didn't do boxing, but we did close quarters combat, right? So we all got to beat up on each other. So we got to know each other that way. Um, and certainly it was real easy to recognize other females um, within our class. And so that's the way that you just, you generally got to know the females pretty well because, well, there weren't a whole lot of us. So, um, you know, I knew the females. I didn't necessarily know who was where they came from. Um, but you always were going to be like if you were, um, you know, rooming, obviously. So like at Buckner, I got to know the other um, females that were in my Buckner platoon really well. So that was um, Chris Badavecchia, um, Charlene um, Mills. Mills, yep. And then um, Liz Southerd. And so, again, we became pretty close over that, you know, that summer just because of the fact that that's who you're, you know, trying to get to know and to room with and to um, not kill each other when somebody's taking a shower and the other person flushes the toilet since you're kind of singled out with your plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, those are the types of things that you just got to know each other really well. And then you always had that connection. So, like at our first, at the first reunion I went back to the 20th, um, I saw Char and um, Chris there and it was immediate that, you know, the three of us were just like, hey, you know, we... It was just so neat to see us together, but to recognize, you know, that again, no time had passed. It was like we were back at Buxton and we were just picking up some from old times. So, yeah, it's just the connection that you have. Um, I kind of think there was a lot of situations like that um, where you just got to know the, the females really well. And um, my last year, um, because I was on Italian staff, um, I got to know Donna Horn really well. I roomed with her and she was wonderful. She um, she introduced me to Garth Brooks, and I became a huge Garth Brooks fan, um, thanks to her. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just funny the different relationships that you that you have. And keep in mind too that for like um, any time you're doing the um, the P test, that it was always the females who had to get up for the other females. So it was. And there's a lot less of you. There's so you a lot less to... of us, so we had to alternate that periodically. But yeah, some of us just had to do it a lot. So. Yeah, so you got to know the females, and you you always appreciated, I think, each other. Monique Washington just peppered into the comment feed that she was uh, she did Beast. She was on the second detail Beast with with me and with Libby, and they were roommates, Libby and, and Monique. And it actually in the Dominican Republic, this came up because we we're just you know reminiscing about old stories, and and uh, I you know Monique Monique can definitely you know. She, she's she's a big presence right she could definitely she was she was she could lock people up in a major league way and i guess what happened was these young female cadets thought that i i i remember you can kind of fall out in the bathroom like you can go in there you could talk you could brush your teeth you do whatever like you need to be like all locked on military bearing but apparently you do if you or you do if you're around monique so these girls were basically in this bathroom just like smoking and joking she went in there and locked them up like had them all against the wall in different like it was, one of them was like naked. The other one like had you know, like you know they're just she's yelling at them like just jacking them up and um and 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 Libby walked into the bathroom was like oh hey Monique and just goes in you know goes to the bathroom whatever and comes back and Monique's still yelling at these at these young ladies and she's just you know locking them up so that was a we we laughed about that story in the Dominican Republic. That's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know that that ever happened to us, but no. Yeah. So so then um, so so then tell me about um, t- tell me more about your your experience at West Point though. So then it, it was it was in Yearling Year, uh, in Buck in Buckner when you first met Ken, right? Yes, actually, Ken was um, as well, um, also in my platoon, and so we got to know each other and. Um, 
that was where I think he began to have interest in me, and I was kind of not even aware of it for a long, long time. It was actually Charlene Mills who um, kind of did the, hey, girl, <laughs> you know, this guy is trying to get your attention. And I was like, oh. Um, so I remember having a couple of conversations like that. But, um, no, we, I would say that the courtship actually started in Buster. Um, probably one of the, the funniest memories I have was um, one of the first times that we, so to speak, went out. Of course, cadet dates were um, you know, <laughs> pretty interesting as far as what a cadet date was, but um, we took one of the canoes out on the lake, and uh, I know I was terrified the whole time because I only had the one gym alpha that was clean, and I had my only good running shoes on, and I didn't want to get them wet. Um, I was adamant about that, and so Ken, and for those that knew Ken, I mean, this was such a Ken move. Uh, he stood up in the canoe in the middle of the lake just to show me how totally sturdy it was, he began to rock the canoe, and sure enough, he tipped the whole thing over, putting us both in the water. So needless to say, I didn't talk to him for about two days after that because my shoes were soaking wet. And I was trying to figure out how do we get this canoe out of here, but it ended up being something that we could laugh about, you know, in years to come. Because um, mm-hmm. certainly life throws you a lot more than just, um, you know, wet clothes and, and a turned over canoe. But that was a Ken move, without a doubt. That's funny. It just sounds like he was like a peacock preening his preening his uh, feathers, right? Trying to trying to like uh, trying to make a story. So so yeah, did, he did, he was funny. Did you start dating then during Buckner? Um, it was towards the end of Buckner that yeah. Then we started um, to date, um, and so we started dating um, uh, after that summer, and then um, that was probably about a year later that he um, actually proposed um, to me. Which um, was, during Cal I year, mean, was, so in Cal year, yeah. So right before, actually, it was during Cal year. You're right, right at the beginning. Um, and he proposed to me. I remember this vividly as well. We were in the basement of Pershing Barracks, and we were covered with mud because we'd just come back from intramurals. There was a dead cockroach right next to us on the floor, and he proposed to me. And I don't know necessarily what. Yeah, it was <laughs> super romantic. Again, another Ken move, but um, I don't remember what caused him to pick that moment, but whatever reason he did, and. So certainly life was going to change, you know, after that. Well, but it was memorable it was, anyway, right? It was so. very memorable. Yep. Ken always made things very memorable. So it was was, was anybody else there when this happened? Like, or was it just the two of you? Like, No, it was just the two of us. Um, we just had gone down to the basement and then he proposed. So it was, he, it was, I think it was very spontaneous, truthfully. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what his plan was, but Ken mm-hmm. did sometimes just act very spontaneously. Was he, was he prior service? He was prior service. He'd actually been um, in engineers, and mm. he had been over to Germany actually for I think a year until, and then he went back to the prep school. Mm. Did he like what was his story for going to West Point? Did he like you know you hear so typically like a company commander, a platoon leader says, "Hey, I think you've got a lot of potential. You should consider going to the prep school." And or, or did he intend on doing that? Was that like his 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 uh, direction? Um, so Ken actually did one year at UW Madison, and then at the end of that, um, when funds had run out, decided he doesn't he didn't want to stay with it anymore. So then he actually enlisted, and then um, went over to Germany. And then while he was there, there was a he had done the I forget what the test is called, but he had done those one of the aptitude tests. Mm-hmm. And so then a lieutenant who was actually in um, one of the other platoons in his um, engineer battalion came and talked to him about West Point. And so then that's when he decided that that was what he was going to um, attempt and, and try to do. And so he was successful. 
And uh, so he went to the prep school and then um, obviously made it into the academy. So it wasn't a, I mean, he, I don't even think he knew about the academy, um, very honestly, but it was through kind of an indirect route that he ended up at the academy. So he was um, four years younger, or I mean, four years older than me. Right. So he was older than us in the class. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of the, the prepsters were. Right. And so the, he asked you to marry him in the basement with a cockroach, muddy BDU mm-hmm. or muddy uh, Jim Alpha. So then mm-hmm. what do you do? Do you like, you say yes, and then you go back to your room and you tell your roommates or like, like what, what happened? Like, yeah, no, that was pretty much it. And, and then, then quite frankly, and then you go to I optional dinner. Ring. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I didn't actually um, wear the ring a whole lot because I found that it, you know, like would rip things up. Um, Cause obviously we had very, physical you know lives as far as pt and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but uh no the rest of the two years um you know we did all of the typical um different events you know the um what would that be i'm trying to think of them but i'm blanking on them oh like 500th night Um, yearling winter weekend yeah so we we had a date for each of those which was always nice Mm -hmm. um we took trips together and uh would do a lot of planning together um, we studied together sometimes. Um, what, Ken what, did extremely. Mm-hmm. What'd you major in? I was actually life sciences, which was kind of like the pre-med, if you will, program. Mm-hmm. And Ken was actually um, in the mathematics. Um, can't remember the exact title of his um, program, but he did math that was. I always think about like the Big Bang Theory because he did math that when he would talk about it. I mean, he understood it and he knew what he was talking about, but I had no clue what he was talking about. So he was definitely the math guy. Hmm. And so then, um, you know, so 500th night, yearling went, uh, whatever, ring weekend. How about like CTLT? Did you guys like go like in similar locations for that or like, or DC, uh, like, you know, summer assignments? No, summers, summers, we pretty much got to, we just chose whatever we wanted so, you know, whatever it was that he wanted to do, he would choose. Um, but we obviously, you know, were progressing the different things that, you know, we wanted to pursue. Um, I ended up doing um, Beast Barracks, and then I did CTLT. Um, and I know he did, like, Aerosol. He did Buckner. Um, so we didn't ever actually do any of the summer things together. But um, it was, I mean, our summers were definitely apart, but we were focused more on doing the things that we wanted to do and try. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it was, it was good. And then we got married the day after graduation. So that was a whirlwind. Um, just trying to do everything during those couple of weeks leading up to graduation and then uh, moving and then um, getting married. So that was, uh, it was so much going on that I can barely remember it to be very well, honest. In, in some sense, it makes sense, right? Cause you got everybody there for your graduation, you know, yeah. and, and you it's want your practical. classmates to be there. It's very practical except for all the other details. Right. But it's kind of makes sense. And so you have your family of his family, you got your friends and his friends and common friends and you guys are in the same battalion. So a lot of overlap, um, back and forth. And by the way, I saw that, um, you know, I was just going through here, you know, another classmate, um, who we have lost a fallen classmate was Jen Kelly, uh, who I think was in his company, right? So she, she, uh, so did, did you have a relationship with her? Like, like was there, a... I didn't know Jen. No, I didn't know Jen really well. She was very quiet. Um, and I, I didn't know actually much about her. I did have a chance to connect with Nadia, um, Nadia King, um, actually at army Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I didn't know Jen real well at all. 
I know that she's a nurse. I know that she was a nurse. She's one of our many classmates that have, you know, gone into that field. And so, um, uh, and she's an engineer too. So I did engineer OBC with her. And I recall she's also, you know, she was very quiet, but very driven. I think she was like into bodybuilding and stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that, that'll be a a topic for another day. But, uh, our fallen classmates, they, they live through our stories and, and Ken lives through your stories as well. So, so you have this very practical wedding the day after graduation. Um, so who stayed behind? Like, like, uh, like it must've been a a good number of H3 and G3 that stayed, stayed, stayed back. Right. Yep. So, um, there, so Craig Larson actually was, um, the best man. Um, I know casino Casey, I was actually trying to remember everybody that's in my wedding photographs, but unfortunately everything is packed in the box right now. So I didn't have the photos available. Um, but I remember Casino Casey, um, Rob Blomquist, um, Mike Ellis. Um, but yeah, there were a number of, um, uh, guys from H3 who, uh, stayed behind and, and were willing to stay when everybody else was trying to get, you know, away from West Point after graduation. So I so appreciated them. And then, uh, my bridesmaids were, um, Tony Glaze, um, Chris Badavecchia, um, Bennett, Mont- or Couch, um, she was Couch then, she's Montes now, and uh, my sister actually was my um, maid of honor. So, yeah, so it was a beautiful ceremony. And of course, you know, our pictures are all on the campus there and, and by the Cadet Chapel, which, you know, is just beautiful. Um, at our reunion for the 20th, but it brought back a lot of memories when we had the service in the Cadet Chapel. So it was very moving. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely the, the type of wedding that, you know, every girl kind of dreams about. So it was beautiful. That's uh, and did you do a reception? Um, we did, we actually weren't planning to do a reception, but then so many people, um, really pushed and, and said, you got to do something. So at the very last minute, um, I decided, and I, I found a, um, what was it? It was a hotel, like a, a like a, room at a hotel space there that was probably the only thing I could find frankly because I did it very last minute Mm -hmm. um and so we just gathered and had some cake but honestly I didn't have a whole lot of I wasn't planning all that much as far as anything after the ceremony um so it was really more everybody telling me that I needed to do something that forced me to do it but it was good I mean I'm glad that you know we, we did at least that but um uh yeah no it was good and then right after that, we loaded up um, our car because um, we had gone in together and got our first car together. And then we loaded up our car with as much stuff as we could, mailed as much as we could. And we took off for um, our honeymoon, actually. We went to Upper State New York, and we had um, this um, little place up there. It was like a little cabin, and uh, that was really nice. It was just a week of relaxing. Um, and then after that, we both started our journey south to go report to um, – our different posts. Yeah, because you had two different OBCs, right? He was he went to Fort Sill and you went to what Fort Sam or something. Yep, yep. So um, again, not too far away, but um, his um, OBC was much longer than mine. So I was actually done. I want to say three months. I think it was like in October um, that I was done, and then I was on my way to Germany. Um, so we did get stationed together over in Germany. We were in um, Schweinfurt, Germany. So how did that work? Um, did you have to like 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 um somebody's post had to go with somebody else's post or like 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 whoever had the higher rank had to like wait for the or higher class rank had to wait for the or had to find out where the other person's rank uh the post was or how, how did that work how did you guys get so close 
you know, I'm, I know that because we were married and so that was, you know, because we were married, the army did work and they, they tried to at least get us. And there was a certain amount of like, you had, they had to put, try to put us as close to, together as they could. I remember that, mm-hmm. um, but it's been so long. Um, originally he was the one who was going to be stationed in Schweinsburg and they had me originally going to Kitsigan, mm-hmm. um, which would have been, uh, maybe about a 30, 40 minute drive. I mean, it would be a, be a little bit of a separation, but then when I actually got to Kitsigan, they redid everything and put me right in Schweinfurt. So it was really fortunate because Ken and I were able to rent a beautiful house, um, out in Germany. And, um, you know, we, um, worked, he worked on the, um, Ledyard barracks because actually where we were in Schweinfurt is two posts actually. And mm-hmm. so he was on one and I was on the other, but still we were only, you know, a couple miles apart. So we got to spend some time together, at least while we were on post. Um, but because I was in third forward support, um, I spent a lot of time in the field. That was the thing that was so funny. You know, he was combat arms and I was um, combat support, but I was in the, the field um, probably at least twice, if not three times more and longer than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go to the field and stay there because all of the you know, combat arms would rotate through. And then uh, he would periodically come in and so we'd see each other for about a week. Um, and then another funny story that we had was our very first um, field problem. We were in um, Grafenbeer. Germany. So it was in the winter time. It was cold. And so we had these parkas and, uh, Ken and I did not know it, but we accidentally mixed up our parkas. And for those of you, uh, you, know, so you people that knew us, I had his and he had mine. Uh-huh. So we didn't know it though. Cause obviously these things look almost identical. So I get there and it was parka was the uniform. So I am swimming in this parka. I mean, this thing I've got rolled up like three times and I, it goes down to my knees just about I am covered and I'm very warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my battalion commander even looked at me one day and he goes, is that what you were issued? And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> Cause I had no idea. But then my husband came to the field and he was just a couple of barracks <laughs> down. Wearing this like and, tight thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we start, and so we figured out where each other were. We knew that we'd be able to at least, you know, say hello to each other. So he started walking down the road and I was walking down the road and we got to within about 10 feet and we just both started off laughing. Cause, he was in high five parka. Literally, the buttons are straining so hard because he used this package little teeny coat. Oh my god, it was it was something out of a cartoon. So right there on the street, you know, we had to swap coats, but that was one of the funny things that you know we experienced. But it was just it was funny. It was good. So did you do some but, big crazy vacations over there too? I know that like that's just a oh awesome yeah. Place. So where'd you go? Oh yeah. Well, um, so in the three and a half years we were there, we never came back to the States. Frankly, we said, if we're here in mm-hmm. Europe, we're just going to do Europe. So um, we were really close. We were driving. Some, um, we were able to go to Czechoslovakia when it was still Czechoslovakia, actually on um, New Year's Eve. And then the next day it, it split. Um, so we did Czechoslovakia a bunch of times. Um, we went to England. We did a Norway, Sweden, Finland um, kind of excursion. We um, we actually did a, a I think it was about 10 days, but we basically drove and camped through all of um, northern Italy, um, which was wonderful. It was probably one of the best um, vacations ever. Um, yeah, so we, and we always, um, I I really loved both marches. And so when we were both, you know, back in the, um, back in, um, at home and stuff, um, if there was a Volksmarch, um, and there was, you know, a kind of a cool cup or a stein, mm-hmm. we were 
on the road and we were going to go do a Volksmart. So we did Volksmarts everywhere. So we came back with, I think it was over 130 mugs from all the different uh, Volksmarts and towns that we had hit all over Germany. So yeah, we, we took in as much as we could. It was just a wonderful experience. So was your son born in Germany? He was. He was actually. So um, I was um, in Schweinfurt. So the medical as a hospital was actually down in um, Würzburg. And so um, I had my son there. And then when he was four months old was when we were PCSing back to the States. So I brought a four month old um, on an eight hour flight. And um, needless to say, the first four hours, he cried the entire time. Mm. So people were ready to throw us off the plane. But then somewhere over the Atlantic, he settled down and Luckily, when we got into Chicago, which is where we were going, or no, into New York, which is where we originally were going, he was finally kind of settled down. But yeah, it was his first flight. But then um, by the time he was 18 months old, he'd been on 19 different Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, we, we, I flew all the time to go see Ken. So Ken was back at Fort Bill, and then I was down at Fort Sam at that point. So we were constantly hopping flights. So you guys were separated at that point. Like that was like, you know, physical separation because he was at, you were at Fort Sam, he was at Fort Sill? Correct. Coming yep. back. And then yeah. and then you went, I think, to D.C., right? You were working at Walter Reed? Yep. So I was at Walter Reed. Um, I was at the Raider Clinic. Um, I was a patient administrator mm-hmm. um, there. And then um, that's where I did my company command. So I had um, the Delta Company, which was actually the clinics um, within the Walter Reed. So I had the Raider Clinic, the Pentagon Clinic, um, Fort McNair, and uh, basically took care of the, the soldiers that were on those or in those clinics. And Ken was with you there, or did he? Did, and was, at that point, Ken had actually decided to get out of the service, and mm-hmm. so he um, had left the service, and so he was really my dependent and was um, essentially doing different work there. Um, he really became very dis- discontent with just trying to find like temporary work there because, again, with my career, he needs to have to move. So at one point, that was where it's kind of that come to Jesus moment where he said, I'm going to Green Bay and I, I, you know, I'm going to take the job. Um, and he started work with us, Schneider National. So he moved out to here, into, he moved out to Green Bay. Um, he was from Wisconsin, so I know he always wanted to go back to Wisconsin. Something I discovered about Ken after we were married was what a huge Packer fan he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just loved the Packers. And, and any time that they were on over in Europe, he was always watching it regardless of what time. Um, it was of the day. Um, but, um, yeah, so then, you know, the decision that I had to make was whether or not I needed to choose my family and, and keeping us together. My son at that time was, you know, close to two. Was Sadie, um, over two. Sadie wasn't born yet? No, no. Okay. She, she came later. So that was where I made the decision to actually leave the, the Army. And that was really hard. Truthfully, mm-hmm. I loved the military. Um, and I, I found myself a bit lost quite frankly, after the military, because I thought, you know, I really wanted to continue. I understood, you know, what to do in the military, and I loved the community of the military. And, and I, I think for, you know, a little while I was lost, but I was fortunate that I got into a health system, knew I wanted to stay with healthcare, and then really started to realize that the skills that we use, that we learned and used um, in leadership, in um, a lot of project management and problem solving and all of that could be applied, obviously, where I was. And so I started just to, you know, try to make a difference every day. That's something that I, I try to do no matter what I'm doing. Um, and over the years, 21 and a half years that I've been um, at the organization I'm with now, 
um, just continued to move into different opportunities as the organization had needs. So again, you know, it's, it's funny. You don't exactly maybe always pick exactly where your path is going to go, but if you're trying to make a difference and you're doing the right thing, inevitably good things are going to happen for you and you're going to, you know, progress. So, so was it, was it at this time, like, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, about Ken, Ken, you know, battled mm-hmm. with depression and he, he had, um, ultimately, you know, lost, lost his life. He died by suicide. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, it was it at this time that he began to exhibit some of the signs of depression or like, how did, how did that sort of evolve? Um, Ken is, you know, when you look back, I think Ken had always had some forms of depression. Um, but you know, they were, I think he was able to manage them. Um, especially when he was more, um, engaged in a community when he was, you know, working and things like that. Ken actually had um, decided to be more of a stay at home dad when I did have Sadie. And so he was home with, um, with Sadie for, I think it was like two or three years. And then he'd gone back and he had just picked up some different jobs, just more for fun and to again, to again, be kind of part of uh, an organization, be connected. And in fact, one of the organizations he worked for um, was the Packers. And so he absolutely loved that. He enjoyed working with the stadium, enjoyed, you know, doing everything, you know, supporting the Packers. Um, And um, then, you know, progressively, and I I don't know exactly, it's hard to say exactly when, but he was starting to have... um, some significant um, symptoms of depression. Um, the ones that you hear about and you go, wow, you know, that, that is depression. But we noticed it, and so we had, you know, gone in and sought some medical attention. Um, Ken, though, and I think, you know, because let's face it, there is a stigma still, even though I think it's a lot better today than it used to be, but there was a stigma around, um, you know, suicide. There was a a whole notion of, oh, oh, it's just in your head. But, you know, I think people, at least today, are starting to recognize that, you know, mental health issues are just as important as your physical health, just as important as, you know, all the other things that you regularly think about checking up on. Um, But Ken actually twice had sought uh, medical attention and and was, you know, diagnosed as having depression. He refused... um, to take anything. You know, that was his thing. He really did not want to take any medication. He wanted to do it on his own. He wanted to, um, I don't know if you will, but he wanted to address it and try to um, battle it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I look back on that and that was something that, you know, I think, you know, could I have pushed him, forced him, grabbed him by the hand and, you know, taken him to, you know, seek more attention or to make sure that he tried something? Um you know, you can always look back and, and think of the things you could have done. But at the time I was working with, you know, two small kids and trying to take care of them as best I could. How, how, so, old, how, um, old were, how old were they at this point? Well, so they weren't necessarily that small, but my son was 15 and my daughter was 10. So they were still keeping mm-hmm. me busy for sure. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the second time that he was diagnosed, it was, I can't remember exactly how many months later that unfortunately, um, you know, he, he, um, was no longer with us, but mm. it was, it was a shock. Um, you know, and the thing is with him in particular, I do sometimes wonder, um, because he would definitely show depression, but then he would seemingly snap out of it. Like he would then be, um, almost, 
um, manic at, at some points. And so I do mm-hmm. wonder if there was other things going on that we just, because you're in it and you are living it, you don't maybe recognize what's happening. Mm-hmm. But looking back, you can see it a lot more clearly. So, you know, one of the things that I've become very passionate about is if, in fact, people are, in fact, you know, feeling like they have either symptoms of depression or if they just feel that things are not right mentally, um, seek help. There are people who can help you. And it's not a bad thing if you need to take something just to help address some of the chemistry. You know, that's something that I think people forget about. But our, our brains are very powerful and um, complicated organs. And they need to be addressed and taken care of just the same as your heart or, you know, any one of your other organs. Um, but I think we sometimes overlook that. We don't, we don't think about that because we seem to have this different perception about the brain. I think also like your body changes when you get older, like it change, like, like, like anything, like your, your body is going through these changes. And so, you know, it, it's not even, a, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of just, you know, like how your life changes that you might need to be medicated at some point later in life. Uh, potentially. Absolutely. And I think and I, that's a great way to put it. Very great way to put it. I think also like, um, you know, Vince Lindemeyer was, was very uh, vocal about this, like, you know, the idea of creating community too, like, you know, we are, we are each other's tribe. We are, we, we have had this common experience. We're, we're there. Like, you know, we could post, you know, we we have this private Facebook page. People have shared their cell, their cell phone numbers. We've got this, you know, this directory of, of, of classmates that we can lean on, um, you know, creating that, creating that sort of support structure. But, you know, it also, you know, um, it's not, it's like, like we should look at going for mental health counseling, like going to the gym. Like it's about, mm-hmm. it's a, like, like it's, it's, you know, behavioral health is, it's, it's very much about being able to have the outlet to talk to people, you know, uh, like uh, I know that, I know that there has been a huge effort, you know, on active duty and general Casey was big about doing this, like this whole checkup from the neck up concept. Like it should not reflect negatively if you, choose it's actually it's a sign of, of strength to um mm-hmm. to go for counseling uh, i myself Absolutely. went for, i myself went for counseling back in uh a few months ago a few weeks ago actually uh well a few months ago i, I committed to do this as part of the uh movember uh movement that uh that vince put me on to so i um i i sought mental health counseling and, and i went f- uh, for uh like a couple couple hour sessions with somebody it was it was good I, I was, outstanding. Yeah. I was not like, I find myself, I almost felt like I was a little bit indulgent, right? <laughs> like I felt like, like, I was like, well, you're just going to listen to everything I have to say for my whole, like this whole time. Like in, it was, it was, it was good. Felt good actually. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, Absolutely. Um, and that was something that I've imparted on my children too. You know, that's again, communicate, talk to people. Um, I may, I, my kids did not have an option. They went to counseling after, um, mm-hmm. after we lost Ken. Um, as did I. Mm-hmm. I. I mean, it was it was a traumatic event. I'm sure. I, obviously, I mean, and 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 you know, good on you that you made that happen with your kids. And you know, I'm sure that it's it's uh, it's something that's still you're very much a part of you know their development and their story and and your story together. And I imagine that your um, distinguished lecture series talks a little bit about about these types of uh, things as well, like to you know to to be to be outwardly speaking about mental health, be able to outwardly looking out for each other. Absolutely. We've participated in numerous 
NAMI walks. My kids actually were part of a um, 22-mile um, ruck march, mm-hmm. um, uh, basically supporting um, veterans, um, trying to support um, the effort in reducing the number of suicides. Um, so, yeah, my kids are active, and I expect that they will continue to, to be so. Um, and seek help when they need it. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, as they grow, I hope that they certainly remember that if they ever feel like they need that, or even if they don't necessarily feel like they need it, but that it's okay to just go in and periodically say, you know, how are things going? Because mm-hmm. like you said, your your brain can be changing and you don't even know it. Um, it's, it's hopefully up to others to recognize changes that they're seeing in you and bring it to your attention as well. That's the other thing. If you do notice something, ask say something um you know that's one of the things you know after unfortunately we lost ken i heard from so many people and it struck me i thought you know boy why why couldn't have we stayed you know connected you know before um you know and i mean it's it's too bad that it causes those types of events to to feel that connection Mm -hmm. so hopefully we can do a better job at connecting and making people know that they do have lifelines to call into or at least a support structure that to help them understand that things aren't as bad maybe as they appear or, or maybe that there is another alternative. You know, everybody has different solutions and answers, but you got to be willing to, to try to reach out and get them. And I think also like as our classmates, many of our classmates are transitioning out of the military, you know, out of, you know, now at like 27, 28, 29 years, you know, like, like as we talked about in this earlier in the earlier um, podcast, we talked about Rusty Davidson, and uh, and we also, you know, with Pete Gaudet, we had the specialist Joe Jurassi talk about, you know, there there are a couple um, triggers. There are these events that happen in your life, transition, you know, from one career to the next, or a physical move, and uh, you know, uh, this this these are all things that we need to be aware of when these events type happen you, to basically seek help and to find ways to you know create that that uh, balance, uh, you know, and mindfulness around that. So I think that, um, you know, having this discussion is particularly appropriate because like we're all going through big transitions. Like kids are moving out of the house, you're moving to Dallas, although you're going to have your, your, your tribe of people there to go, you know, gun shooting with and everything else down there with uh, Monique and and company. Um, but, um, we're, we're, it's gotta be all about looking out for each other, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And frankly, you doing this podcast is fantastic. Um, this is the type of thing that I think, you know, helps to encourage support, helps to create the opportunity to connect as well. So, I mean, I certainly for any of my classmates and anyone who um, in the future would be passing by or even through wherever I am, either too bad that I didn't offer it here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, but probably more people would be likely to pass through um, Dallas, Texas. But if you're ever passing through, definitely give us a holler because I definitely would want to connect. Yeah. This is the things that we need to do. Like, you know, Norm Litterini down in, uh, down in DC has like these monthly or every other month, like these happy hours for 91 and people get together and, you know, we're like we talked about earlier, we're at the point now where we have a little bit more flexibility to be able to try to get together and, um, and, and reconnect with one another. Cause this is, you know, these are important relationships. Like you said, like when you, when you reconnect, you reestablish that 98% DNA splicing. You know, we all come from this very common experience. We're there for one another. And so mm-hmm. if you're going through a tough time or you kind of feel like you feel like you're living a life of quiet desperation, you know, reach out to one of our classmates and, and let's, let's uh, be there for each other for sure. Absolutely. You know, and I don't know the stories of, obviously we had 
over 900 and some odd people in our class. But I think about, you know, are there some folks who um, aren't reaching out because they feel like they didn't attain something where they feel like, or maybe some people, you know, unfortunately um, took some paths that some others would not have typically taken. Um, I don't know who those individuals are, but it would be great if people that were close to them and know about their stories reach out to them to make sure that we don't lose them and we don't leave them behind. Yeah, that that's uh, well said. Well said. Um, we're 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 getting towards the end of the uh, of the of the time we have here together, and um, I see you see Brad Mack. We just joined right on right as we're finishing up here. So Brad, you're gonna have to listen to the replay, I think, uh, which will be available later this evening, um, or you can catch catch up uh, by by hitting the the rewind button. But um, Kim, I I I am just so um, I think in awe of you, um, uh, and grateful for, um, I think what is a, a complete sort of like kick-ass attitude of soldiering on, you know, I, I look at your kids and living a life of service. I look at you and, you know, continuing to, um, to, to just, you know, move forward and, and, and be of service in this life. And, um, I'm proud that you're my classmate. I mean, we, 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 I don't think we, we knew each other at school at all. Um, you know, I, but I, I, we hit it, hit it off immediately when we spoke today on the pre-call. And, and I think that, um, you know, you're an amazing woman and, uh, thank you for, thank you for everything. Um, I, um, I wonder if you have an, if you have some parting thoughts that you may want to just leave us with our classmates. You know, um, well, first Jamie, I want to thank you for thinking of me. Um, I looked at this as an opportunity to share my story in the hopes that, Quite frankly, if there are people like you use the word desperation and, you know, it, it does make me very sad to think that I was living in a house with my partner and I didn't even know, you know, the desperation that he was going through um, or what it must have taken for him to act normal on a daily basis when when obviously he was torn up inside. Um, so I do urge us to really think about any of our, our classmates, our friends, the people around us and reach out to them, touch them, love them, um, and speak them up. Um, because frankly, all of us can use that boost, um, too much. I think there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of stuff that frankly, especially looking at the fact that this is the one life you get, um, make the most of it and try to help reach and support everybody up because that's what it's all about in the end. So, but I thank you for the opportunity. It's been great talking to you. And like you said, it was really nice to connect so quickly, even though we did not know each other at school. Yeah, well, I, I, I periodically get out to Dallas. So when I get out there, I'll definitely uh, look you up and love to get together with you. Maybe go uh, Excellent. do something fun. Um, that sounds great. And, uh, and so, again, thank you. Thank you, Joe, for being here. You know, Joe just does this as a, kind of a service to us, and uh, he's a good friend, and thank you for being here to do this, Joe. And oh, it was always my pleasure. Uh, Moni Fox, did uh, Kim did leave a message in the thread with a phone number for you to reach out to her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, fantastic. So, so make thank sure you. you take a look at that. Yep. I will do that. And so, uh, so with that, I think we'll, we'll, we'll close the uh, next, next podcast will probably be in another two weeks or so. I'll, I'll let you know, uh, who that's going to be, uh, through Facebook and, um, thanks again for everybody. And Kim, you should stay on the line just for a few minutes afterwards, after the, after the thing runs out, we can just kind of debrief. Um, okay. and so with that, I'll say, um, continue to beat Navy and duty shall be done.
Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Thank you.